Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 141. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and it's great to be with you again. My guest this week is none other than my good friend, Kate McMahon, founder of New Echo Media and New Sounds Online. Kate is kind of a versatile person in the music industry. She writes about music, she promotes music, she helps develop talent, she puts on shows, she prints scenes. She does a little bit of everything that you could hope to do in this industry, and she does it really well. Best of all is that she calls North Carolina home. And when you think of the music industry, you tend to think of coastal cities, but North Carolina does not have one of those cities. It doesn't have even a huge scene that we recognize. But to hear Kate talk about it, you would think that it was no different than Boston or New York or Los Angeles in terms of the kind of talent there, the kind of passion for music that lies there, and the type of people that want to see their scene, their community flourish. On this episode, Kate tells me a lot about her journey in music. We start at the very beginning, how she got into music, her first shows. I believe it involves Aaron Carter and an airport. And then we get into writing about music and how you go from you know just wanting to promote the bands that you love to getting really into the business of music. These days, she runs New Echo Media PR, a flourishing publicity firm, and she just landed her first international client. She tells us how that came together, as well as the things that she hopes to do in the future. But really... This podcast is about sticking to your dreams. You see, Kate's been doing this for about a decade at this point. Though she's only in her mid-20s, that is still a lot of work and time. People like to say that kids can't do anything, but as we were all kids ourselves, we know that that's not necessarily true, especially in the digital age. If you have access to the internet and focus passion about something, you can learn to do just about anything, and that is what Kate has done here in the music business. She's built her own company on more than one occasion. She started a local magazine. She's hosted shows. She's put on events. She's helped artists reach their wildest dreams, and she's just getting started. So when you listen to this episode, I want you to pay attention to the story she's being told, but also the lessons that she wants you to take away from it. Kate does a lot of public speaking. She's appeared at conferences around the country, and you can tell that because every time she finishes answering a question, she tells you what you can learn from it and how you can apply the same lesson in your own life. And that's a little bit of a dig because I I call it conference talk, and she's really good at doing that. But it's good, and it's worth your time. Before we get there, I do want to bring up a few quick things. First and foremost, this episode of Inside Music and all episodes of Inside Music are brought to you by Holix, the music industry's leading digital promotional distribution company. Now what that means is that Holix works with record labels, publicists, managers, and independent artists from all over the world to discreetly share new and unreleased music without fear of piracy. To learn how they do this and gain access to a free 30-day trial, visit holix.com. That's H-A-U. L-I-X.com. I also want to invite you to follow us on Twitter. I know that we used to have one for the podcast, but we're actually going to be ending that feed and just moving everything into the Holix feed. So just follow Holix. Again, that's H-A-U-L-I-X. And you can find me on Twitter as well. It's James D. Shotwell. That's D as in dog or Doug or dynamite or any of those words that start with D. Finally, support what Kate's up to. It's New Echo Media, and she spells new in you, like unicycle, unique, anything, any of you words, you know, you. Follow Kate on there, find her stuff online, and get behind the band. She just worked with this group called Lowborn that I cannot get enough of, and the talent that she has on the horizon, which I don't think I'm allowed to mention just yet, are also really good and really exciting. They're doing crazy things, and Kate is kind of the puppet master behind it, making it all happen. So sit back, relax. And learn about one person's wild ride in the music industry. Hey, 
client campaign going on right now for a band called Young Judas. They are a pop rock band out of Calgary, Canada. They're actually my first international public relations client, so it's pretty exciting. Um, so that was another first of 2018. So 2019 has been pretty good to me as well. Um, you know, we've gotten a couple of good placements there. I'm also recording my own podcast later tonight, um, Drunk and Local. I'm doing the second official episode with a previous client, Lowborn, from uh, Greensboro. They're an emo pop band, pop rock, emo pop rock, I guess is a good genre. <laughs> um, they're incredible. I love them. So those are some great guys. Going to be drinking some good beer. Um, maybe one day I can get you back on that podcast and we can do a real episode instead of just like completely <laughs> bucking the whole thing up the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I haven't uh I haven't done any drinking or anything of the sort since October 2nd. So, we'll find something. Maybe we can do like a like a coffee and local version of the podcast. <laughs> oh nice. Okay, cool. So we're we're game. I like it. Yeah, it's fun. He's a cool guy. Getting to know him. <laughs> He's all right. I'm actually sober <laughs> for the myself as well, but I forgot about my own podcast, which is very on brand for me, I think, um, which is called Drunk and Local, obviously, which involves me drinking. So I'm going to have to break after tonight and then I'll go back to my soberness tomorrow. <laughs> the hardest part, honestly, for me wasn't uh, not doing anything. It was the the clarity that and the dreams that come because like, I always heard that like if you smoke or anything for a long time, not cigarettes for people listening at home, um, do you have like this, like, like you can't get into the deep enough level of sleep where you have dreams and nightmares and stuff. So like, as that leaves your body and you get like fully that full clarity, like instead of just like starting to dream again, it's almost like your mind like unleashes all the backed up dreams it hasn't had. So for a little while, things got real weird at night, like super intense dreams where you're aware you're dreaming and you can't wake up and it's just like nightmare fuel. Ooh, yeah. I kind of, um, I would probably pay a lot of money or sacrifice a couple limbs um, to not have dreams. <laughs> a lot of my stress and anxiety kind of manifests when I'm sleeping um, more than any other time in my life. So I often have dreams that I, I have like a dream journal, so I write a lot of them down if they're like specifically horrible, but most of them are pretty just like super intense. And it's about like dumb shit too. Like it's not anything like actually super serious, but it just stresses me out, you know, in my dreams I wake up like, oh my God. So I feel that. Yeah, I had one. The one that I always remember is that I had one where I, I caused a horrible car accident with like multiple fatalities and damage, property damage. And I remember in the dream getting out of the car and like where I was, was like some unbelievable landscape. But I was like, this can't be real because there's like a loop de loop on the highway or something. It didn't make any sense, but I couldn't wake up. So I was just like, maybe this is reality. Was I dreaming the rest of the time? Like it it got real weird. Um, But those seem to have (laughs) passed. And now I just kind of have like a ton of dreams every night. And it's so weird because for the longest time, I would just tell people I'd never dream. And now I dream constantly and I kind of hate it. So, you know. Well, welcome to Dreamland. It's a terrible place. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds awful. Everyone always made it sound so fun, and I was always so jealous, and now I'm not jealous anymore. I've, like, dreamt a couple. Like, there's been a couple times. I don't think I'm, like, a psychic by any means or anything like that, but there's been a couple times 
where I have something and then something like, or like I dream something and then something related kind of happens in my life. So that's kind of cool for like the universe to be like, Hey, maybe you're on the right path or something. So (laughs) given my recent dreams, I hope that never happens to me, but I can understand how that would be (laughs) cool in like the right situation. Um, just not want anything that's happening in my life, but let's talk about, I want to take people back to, I kind of want to start before you get into PR because the big thing on social media right now is this, uh, you know, 2009 2019 challenge or this 10 year change challenge and you had like amazing photos so i want to go back like one step (laughs) further than working in music and like let's start with like tell me how you first i guess got into that point everyone has this point when they're growing up where they're like i think i want to work in music so when did that happen to you oh god so oh my god that 10 year photo is just (laughs) The, the angst is leaking from my eyeballs in that picture like wow that was um 20 oh god 2009 i think um is when i posted that photo but god working in music i mean so i grew up in the keys the florida keys which um if anybody i mean a lot of people have visited there but people living there know that there's really no sort of music scene like literally nothing um as i told you like and a couple you know others on my own podcast <laughs> Aaron Carter at the Marathon Airport was my first concert, um, which kind of gives you a clue into the lack of just music in general in the Keys. Um, You know, Aaron Carter just happened to live in Marathon, so the airport was, you know, (laughs) the most relevant venue for whatever reason. But I kind of, so growing up there, I was always, I was raised on music, you know, like my dad was always playing guitar. He'd play songs for me. I grew up on um, a lot of classic rock. Classic rock is my first love. So Queen, The Beatles, uh, The Eagles, stuff like that. Um, Those were like some of my top ones, Meatloaf, things like that. Um, My first favorite song ever was Fat Bottom Girls, which is pretty funny. But so working, I mean, I don't know, working in music was never really like a dream for me. It just, it literally just happened. Like, because in the key, like I said, there was really nothing going on. So when I was able, that was like the one good thing I kind of got out of moving when I was 16. Because when you're 16 and you move, you leave, you know, everything. If you've lived in one place your whole life and you leave it, it's kind of depressing. I went through like a lot of changes and a lot of things. I was super shy um, before I moved. And then after I moved, obviously, I was kind of forced out of my shell and kind of became the person that I am now. So thankful for all of that. But when I came here, I was like, wow, well, one plus is there's a music scene here, you know, um, in Charlotte, it's not like a crazy music scene, but it's definitely a huge step up from the keys. Um, you know, a lot of major tours come through Charlotte and we have a lot of really great local music going on here. So that was a really cool thing. Um, so I guess, I think, I think my guess, my guess, I guess my first move into music was probably when I started blogging. Um, my senior year, I went through like a time where, you know, my dumb high school boyfriend broke up with me and blah, 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 all this stuff. So I needed something to kind of take my mind off it. And music has always, like I said, you know, I grew up around it. So it's always been like my main, my main thing. So I started kind of just writing about some bands that I thought deserved coverage, like smaller bands. And then I kind of discovered, hey, like I can start kind of reaching out to you know, their agents and management and stuff like that, and kind of maybe talk to them about getting tickets to these shows in order to, like, review the shows and talk about the stuff that I was doing and, you know, not necessarily get paid for it, but it, you know, in a way be kind of rewarded for it. So 
I don't really remember how I even kind of discovered that option. Like there wasn't, you know, I wasn't huge on social media at that time. Um, I mean, we had Facebook, but that was pretty much it. Like I wasn't big on Twitter, Instagram or anything, you know, I don't think Instagram was a thing and I'm old, but it's fine. Um, so when I started doing that, my first show ever actually that I reviewed uh, was this band called Banner, Banner Pilot. Um, and I don't even, again, I don't even remember how I came across them. They were just coming through one of these venues that was here that's actually torn down now, which is a testament to the music scene here, <laughs> which I can talk about more later if you want. But uh, this venue called Tremont Music Hall is torn down now, but Banner Pilot came through there. So I, that was the first person I reached out to like, hey, you know, I'll write about this show if you give me a ticket, blah, blah, blah. So I did. It was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up doing that for quite a few shows at Tremont Music Hall under the name then that was called, <laughs> shamefully called Rad Promotions. <laughs> it makes me cringe because I just picture my logo, which was, um, so I think it was like the Mac, like default background, probably like five updates ago. It was like that horrific space background, like the purple pink one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So yeah, it was like a <laughs> really just like a really cheesy space background. Anyway, so I used that of all things. I used that to make like the word rad. So I had rad in like a space, like a space background <laughs> and then overlaid on another space background that said rad promotions, like all in the back. It was literally the worst, the most 2011 logo you've ever seen probably but pretty terrible so I did that um and I also vividly remember reviewing this is like my one claim to fame I think <laughs> I reviewed GEZ um I saw GEZ in two rows of people at Tremont Music Hall in god what year was it it was right before his first album came out so yeah, that was crazy. Um, I vividly remember writing in my review as well saying, you know, like this dude's going to blow up. He's so cool. He's like a greaser turned rapper. He's amazing. I'm in love with him. Blah, blah, blah. Marry me. So here I am. I'm a music single predictor. He popped off. And, uh, you know, I like to think it's because of me single-handedly. We all do. We all do. So that's kind of where my start began. And then after all of that, it just kind of snowballed, you know, like, because when I started writing about music and then kind of, like I said, getting tickets for it, I was like, wait, this might be my thing. Cause I've, I've always kind of been a writer, like just really into that kind of stuff, you know, through high school and all that good, good stuff. So then I started doing, so street in 2011 street teams were a huge thing um, because Social media was just kind of starting to, I think, really take off at that point. So I think my first my first ever street team actually was with Victory Records. Um, and they would just, I think actually, yeah, yep, Victory Records. That was my first one. So back then, they would just send you a shitload. Like, I, I mean, like, probably like a 20-pound box of just demo CDs. And I would get this like every couple months, just like a shitload of demo CDs, a shitload of flyers for whoever was on their roster. And I was just in charge of passing them out and taking pictures as proof and submitting it. And that was that. Um, you know, I constantly, <laughs> I remember having a demo with like a couple of data member songs on it and just feeling like the coolest person when I had, you know, these demo CDs 
in my purse that I was just able to like give to my friends They're like oh my god you're so cool you know you like do music stuff and in reality I was just you know doing absolutely nothing basically but I did that um, and then I started on a field by ramen street team and it's I mean the same exact thing basically but they were super sticker focused so I was doing stickers for them and a lot of it involved um, you know warp tour and all of that and then I started um Oh, I also street team for Photo Finish Records, which also turned out to be my first merch gig ever. Um, I ran 303's booth at <laughs> this thing called Bamboozle Roadshow, which I want to say was like a one-time thing maybe, but it came to Charlotte and it was just a ton of bands. It was great. It was all-time low, good Charlotte, uh, Forever the Sickest Kids, 303. Oh, wait, no. Three, I don't think 303 was there. I think the label was just there. Um, and then I also remember Jack Vanek, like her brand being there. She was there as well. And um, that day, mm, photo finish, Jack Vanek and Good Charlotte, we all had our merch on the same two trucks. And I remember our two trucks were late as shit to the show. So um, we all got, to, I got, that was like my first experience of, you know, shooting the shit with people that I literally looked up to, um, you know, sitting down, talking shit with some people because they're buses were late were pretty cool so yeah that was my first merch experience um so yeah I mean I feel like once if you really want something you know whether it's the music industry or any other thing once you kind of get into it and you're really passionate about it it all really just takes off um because I'm the type of person where if I love something the way that I love music I want to know everything about it um which can also be my downfall sometimes you know working in PR it's a very my tasks are very specific and I know what PR involves and what PR doesn't, but regardless, I want to do all of it. You know, that's kind of my downfall. I want to, you know, learn about managing. I want to learn about booking. I want to learn about promoting and really everything there is to know about music. And that's kind of what put me in the position to create something that was my own, which is being able to learn every other, you know, every aspect of the music industry and kind of place myself in you know, I'm not an expert by any means, but in a way that people can kind of see me as, you know, like a leader and um, <clears throat> just like a, a thought leader, really, I think is a good phrase for it. And I think a lot of people that are in the music industry right now know that it's really important, especially in this day and age, to constantly be able to set yourself apart and be able to say, well, okay, yeah, well, I'm a publicist, but I also do this, 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 and this, and I've been a music journalist for this long and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's kind of where I started. That was a really long, really long answer. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I did the Victory CD thing as well. In fact, I remember the first one that anyone ever handed me, like before I got into doing it myself, was I remember being outside a uh, some kind of Christian concert at some church, and some kid handed me uh, a CD sampler that had a Treyu's right side of the bed and whatever the other big single is off that record on one side and then the other side, I think the other, because it was always like four songs or like two from one artist and then three from like three different artists and it was like Dead to Fall and like three of the, two of the other heavy victory bands. But I remember getting that CD and that's how I discovered Atreyu and then I eventually started doing it and I also got like the five or six boxes with like 50 CD samplers in each. And I remember that they used to, they would just send those to you. Like if you were like, I need another box, they wouldn't ask questions. They would just ship you a box of CDs. Yeah, like I remember you really needed 
pr- like I don't think I submitted a lot of proof that I gave them out. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I you know, and the other day I was reading an article on the music industry's impact on the environment, and it said that CDs that are just thrown away in landfills are estimated to take up to a million years to fully decompose. And I was like, I'm responsible <laughs> for so many CDs I, that are in the garbage. Yeah, me and Victory are solely responsible for all of that. Yeah, Victory has definitely done that. That's fine. It's fine. That used to be the thing. It's so weird to think that even 10 years ago, but I mean, 15 years ago, it was even more intense. Like Victory did that for a long time with every album. They would do like quarterly samplers, end of year samplers, new artist samplers, heavy samplers. And I remember like they would just ship you so much stuff all the time. And I don't, and you know, none of it, none of it is around anymore. Like if, even if you gave it to people who actually liked it, like by this point, it's either like in a box at their parents' house or it's in a landfill somewhere. It's pretty much it. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm really sad I haven't saved at least one of them just so I could see like what the cover was and like what singles are being promoted. <laughs> I could still remember some of them, but I definitely have that thought. I, I bet I have it at my parents' house. I love Victory so much back then that I bought a separate CD case and I really tried to collect every single Victory release because that was about the time I picked up on how like on the spine it always said like VR 135, 136, whatever for the release number. And so at one point I was like, I want to have all of them. So I have a CD case at home that has like, I don't know, I don't I don't have like the first 10 because that's like electric, that, like they didn't have those anymore. But I remember telling them that I wanted to do that and them sending me physical copies of everything I didn't have. So I probably have like 50 through like 200 or something like that in a CD case somewhere. Yeah, it's like um, on cards of the music industry. (laughs) Yeah, and now they just sit in a closet at my parents' house, and sometimes they're like, will you take these with you? And I'm like, I don't have anywhere to put them. So one day, one day I'll go through them, and it'll just be like relics of things I used to own. It's cool. It's fine. My whole closet right now. We have no storage in my apartment, so my closet is just... It's like playing Tetris anytime I want to try to find something. Like, I have absolutely no idea where anything is, but it's all precisely organized. Like, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it does. Like, when I moved into my new apartment, I definitely had to, I liquidated so much stuff. I just ended up taking a lot of it to a family shelter in the area. Like, I went probably four times over two weeks to this family shelter and every time I had like boxes of stuff or clothes or dishes or whatever it happened to be and they would just be like you're back again like where are you getting all this stuff and I was like I don't know I just had it um and now yeah now I have like a very small amount of stuff and I know where everything is but I still have it is like Tetris like if it's not in the right order it's not going to work like it has to be stored properly Literally, I remember getting out my Halloween decorations and being like, well, I guess I'm going to fuck my whole closet. It's going to take me a month to put all this shit back. Absolutely. And now and now, even even now, I have to do laundry today still, and I've, I've been dreading it because I haven't done it in a while, and the idea of having to piece my closet back together with all the clothes clean give me anxiety. That's, that's old person anxiety where you're like, ugh, cleaning requires organization. <laughs> it's too much work. 
I always feel like, especially when I talk to people who got into this mostly through writing, that there there comes a point kind of early on, like what was like your first success story that you remember? Like the first time, I don't know if it was a label or the artist or someone like shared what you wrote or commented on what you wrote. Like what was the first big success that you remember where you were like, oh, I might actually be able to do this? The thing that kind of solidified it for me, I don't remember the band specifically, <clears throat> but I think the first time like a local band, because that was really big into doing like like my whole focus for the first website was I'm not going to cover anybody that people already know about but don't not necessarily they don't need the coverage but like you know other people need it more basically so I was really mainly focusing on just tiny bands um I think honestly the first show I reviewed banner pilot I think they actually shared like the post or something that I had created um I think that was pretty big for me and just having those small bands just you know that I was giving coverage to out of nowhere and then just kind of reciprocating being like hey like thank you so much or like sharing um that was huge for me you know for to be able to feel like I was making a difference for you know even if I gained you know one fan for them that was big for me because I knew the importance of that even before really understanding the music industry at all um I knew that these bands were working so incredibly hard to get their music out, you know, to get their, you know, passion projects heard. And for me to play a tiny role in that was just everything to me. And it still is, you know, um, that's, that's what I pride myself with in publicity. You know, it's like, yes, I'm getting your stuff out to the media, but in reality, like the whole purpose of all of this is because I want people to hear your passions that you're putting out through this music and it deserves it you know so I only work with people that I'm really really faithful in and really passionate about as well and people that I can put on my back and carry with me for my whole career whether or not they're active on my roster but that's kind of how that started was being like having those bands you know recognize what I was doing for them I guess I don't know it's kind of a weird answer I feel like but I really I'm really tempted to log hold on I really want to if I can go back into my old web page and like find this banner pilot review it's like really tempting it's somewhere on tumblr so god knows like what's <laughs> what it's like right now but <laughs> yeah that's probably the biggest thing for me um and then once I got to college and it kind of so I went from rap promotions and then I moved into I think it was my freshman year in college uh, I realized two girls that I went to high school with were kind of interested in the same thing that I was. Like, they were both doing the music blog thing as well. They were two of my really good friends, and we just kind of never talked about it. Um, and then one day, we were like, wait, we're all doing the same thing. Like, why don't we all just do it together, and it'll be much more effective. So we rebranded as uh, the Encore Media, and that was me and two other girls. Uh, one was in Asheville, and one was in California. We all had went to high school together, though, but we had all just, like, went separate paths for college. But we all were doing the music thing in those different areas. So we kind of put it together, and we got this idea of coast-to-coast -coast coverage. So Marissa over there being in California, Lauren being in um, Asheville in the mountains of North Carolina, and then me being in, like, more of a central area of North Carolina, were able to kind of tackle the music industry not just the small bands that I have been so, you know, into, but the bigger bands as well and making more connections and it was just a huge learning process um so I think once I got those two girls on board you know with me and we were all we all became this team and we all had the same vision that's when it really became real you know like once because running us I mean everybody knows running something like that by yourself that's actually like sustainable um 
like that sustains itself and has a good following and, you know, does daily reviews and posts. It's so much work, you know, and 90% of the time we're not making shit. You know, I'm still not really making anything off the website that I run now 10 years later. So that says a lot. I think. <laughs> um, and if you do want to make money off it, it takes like some serious business dedication, which is amazing for the people that, you know, do it and find the time. But yeah, I think once I had the two other people on my team, that was huge to me. I think having a team is a really, really important um, the team that I have over on the website that I run now, New Sound, I mean, they're amazing. We have great contributors that, I mean, they are literally the backbone of everything that we do. So that's probably, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest things for me. Absolutely. And you made a good point. It's really hard to make money at this at all, period. Um, and PR, which you do now, definitely isn't uh, any different, I guess, for the first longest time. I always feel like there is like a big jumping point in PR where I have friends that do it, like you, that'll tell me at first, it's like barely getting by, and then one day I talk to them and they're like, we made $25,000 last month, but we have to make that every month or we can't make payroll. And I'm like, whoa, 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 how did we jump? <laughs> like, what happened in between those two numbers? Like, what what changed? And how, how is that not enough money anymore? The financials of making right, it work right. are always so confusing. But to speaking specifically to PR, I want to get there. But first, you mentioned this kind of in your explanation about writing and getting excited about it and what you're passionate about in it. And that's that you always had always still maintain a real passion for your local community and like uh, kind of working with it and kind of being like an incubator for local talent trying to build the community around local music so what do you really attribute that to is it that you grew up in a place that didn't have that local scene so when you found one you kind of took to it in a motherly fashion or is it something else like what is it that kind of drives you to be so passionate about your immediate scene region whatever you want to say yeah, um, so definitely the part of not having one definitely did a huge thing for it because once I got to Charlotte and I was 16 and I kind of came out of my shell, I, you know, was kind of, the friends that I made in high school here in Charlotte were into those type of things, obviously, because I was an emo kid, so I attracted other emos, you know, the emos run in packs. So the people that I ended up being friends with were into this music scene and they just, like, really threw me into it and it was incredible I some of my fondest memories okay so I have like a really soft spot for house shows like I I don't know what it is I mean I feel like a lot of people have a soft spot soft spot for house shows but when I first moved to North Carolina there were these things these like run down shit houses in this I can't even remember the neighborhood I really don't even know what it was because at the time I don't even think I was driving <clears throat> So I have no idea how to even get there anymore, but the, like, there were like four or five houses on the same block owned by a bunch of grungy punk kids. Um, and they were called the rad houses, which is funny and kind of full circle because my first website name was rad promotion. So, and then also fun fact, I was like a college radio DJ my freshman year in college and my name was DJ rad. So, <laughs> but anyway, so these houses were called the rad houses and it was rad one, rad two, rad three, rad four. And at these houses, I mean, they were barely houses. They were just shells of, you know, houses. They were just walls, basically, at this point. I, I think people live there. I honestly can't remember. <laughs> but it was literally just a place, like, just venues, kind of, that were just house shows all the time with local punk bands or punk bands coming through the area and just metally, crusty, grungy, 
the best, just honestly the best things ever. And me and all my friends would go. Um, I met so many people that are heavily involved in the music scene even now. Um, you know, like one of, God, I'm trying to, you know, one of the, okay, so one of the local bands here, they're called Unruly Boys, um, or they were anyway, I'm not sure if they're still active right now, but one of the guys there, I remember seeing him at some of these shows at the Rad Houses. Um, a lot of people I run into even now, like, I feel like I know you from somewhere, and it's from the Rad Houses, and I was 100, probably 100% too young to even be there, but holy shit, they were amazing, um, and that kind of gave me, a, gave me my first experience of a real scene and people coming together and creating these spaces and kind of being like this family making sure everybody was like you know taken care of and everyone had a good time and got got to know people you know um without social media without being on our phones like thank god you know I started in the music industry before staring at your phone 24 7 was a thing um I don't think I had an iPhone then but I don't think anybody really well I think that was at the beginning of the iPhone craze right around then, but that was nice. You got to actually got to know people when you're at shows um, and feel like you were a part of something. So that's when it started for me. Um, and then, yeah, and then getting into college, um, doing the college radio thing. I definitely did a lot of that and then kind of photograph, I started like doing the photography thing and photographing local bands and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Honestly, it was like a weird, so I started really local, and then I went really national, and then I came back local here recently. I tried to go really national for a while, because I was like, oh, well, that's where the news is that everybody knows, and then I realized that's kind of so oversaturated, like national news for music, that it's just kind of pointless sometimes, and that the real coverage and the real boots on the ground people are covering local stuff, and that was more important, so I kind of came back to that recently. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's kind of been a really up and down roller coaster ride for me, but I'm really happy that it kind of happened the way that it did. Absolutely. And now let's just ease that on into getting into PR. So when when do you have, I guess, how do you start? But more importantly, like what is the change where you go, you're writing about music, you're dealing with publicists all the time. You have to have some grasp on how hard and how defeating that can be. What makes you be like, I want to do that thing? Yeah, it's kind of funny because I, you know, people always ask me what it's, I don't know, it's really interesting, actually, it gives me a really good upper hand, um, being the fact that I was a journalist first, because like you just said, you're constantly dealing with publicists, so you know what's frustrating, what's annoying, what looks shitty, what looks great, what makes people want to cover your artists, you know, like, the kind of pitching that gets the most attraction, um, things that make me block a publicist, um, so those, those were all in my mind before I even knew that it was kind of relevant. But so I graduated with a degree or a bachelor's in communications and international public relations. So when I did that, um, I graduated in 2016, it took me five years because the first year I spent not knowing what the hell I wanted to do. I actually started college with a pre-nursing degree. Haha. <laughs> first week in that, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a no from me. So I was probably undecided for like a year and a half um, and then ended up taking a class that inspired me to do communications. But so I had my degree in PR, I graduated and I was like, all right, well, I went to college in the first place because society was kind of pushing me that way. And I was like, all right, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do now that I graduated high school, went to college, graduated college. And then I did the society push thing again and was like, all right, I guess I get a full-time job, like in my degree, that's what I'm supposed to do. 
So like, you know, a lot of millennials, I did the full-time job thing, fucking hated it. Like the office, full-time office. No, I hate it. Um, and I, it's not so much about the full-time work. Like obviously I do full-time work now. Um, and it's not about the office thing. I have, you know, an office right now. It's not about that. It's about this American culture that kind of feeds on working 24 seven and fuck your mental health and fuck your passions and your desires and the rest of your life. Give us everything you've got. Here's a um, pay that will get you by barely. That's what I did for like three years. Um, I did, you know, agency work for in PR. I did corporate and then I went back to agency and I tried different, you know, types of PR work and none of it was doing it for me. And finally I was like, okay, I need to go back to the drawing board. You know, like what is making me happy here? Um, the whole time I had music in the back of my mind, you know, I was still doing journalism. Um, but I think it was, let's see. Yeah, it was about a year and a half into me graduating and so about about when I was in the middle of figuring out that I couldn't handle corporate America really or um just like working for another company that didn't care about your well-being it was kind of like a light bulb for me I was like you know what like I I love music and I kept having a lot of experiences of life is too short to just pay bills and die and I think a lot of millennials are realizing that and that's why a lot of people, you know, baby boomers kind of blame us for certain industries dying and stuff like that, because we just realize it's not important. Um, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, a lot of people that are older just pride themselves on being able to pay their bills on time, which is completely fine. And that sounds like a great thing. I don't know what that's like, but <laughs> I think a lot of us are kind of feeling the effects of having plenty of money, but not plenty of happiness. Um, so that's kind of where I started out. I approached a band that I knew um, from, he was actually my friend in high school, Dalton, of uh, this uh, tech death metal band called Kairos here in Charlotte. Um, I approached them. It's like, hey, you know, like I had interviewed them before and kind of, you know, been around their music. I'm like, you guys are really good. Like, blah, blah. I wanted to start kind of exploring PR. I honestly, honest to God, had no fucking clue what I was doing. Not a clue. Um, I am a strong proponent of fake it till you make it. And that's exactly what I did. So I told Kairos, I'm like, hey, you know, like, I really want to start exploring PR. I don't really know what I'm doing. So, um, you know, you guys are kind of starting out as well. Do you want to partner together? You know, I'll rep you, be your publicist, you know, quote unquote, for free. And we'll just kind of see what happens. And they were amazing. They were like, yeah, let's, let's do it. You know, that's, that's amazing. So I did. I took them on board. So they were like my first, they were like my guinea pig. I wouldn't call them my first client because they weren't paying me and I wasn't doing anything to deserve being paid. So they were my first guinea pig. Um, so with Kairos, I learned everything that I kind of needed. Um, I mean, I'm still learning every day, but I learned, <clears throat> I learned the basis of what a press campaign was like. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, that first year, a lot about what it took for a band to be successful and a public relations campaign to be successful. And then I <clears throat> took on this rock and roll client that my first client ever, my first paying client was uh, this band called Prowess. They're still active on my roster. They're a rock and roll band out of Charlotte. Um, they take a lot of like classic rock stuff, influence, not stuff, influences, a lot of classic rock influences. And they have a great 
fan base. Their fan base is super interactive and especially on social media. And they have a lot of just dedicated people working with them. When I was able to work with them, um, I worked with them on their first EP release, Head First. And I mean, I had a great time, you know, and like just learning with these guys. And I think they knew that I was still starting out and I knew that they were still starting out. But knowing that I had, I think it's very, I think it's very obvious to people who have a passion and a drive for this type of thing. It's very obvious when someone else has that. It's very recognizable, um, which is what I find in a lot of my clients, you know, and a lot of people that I network with. And I think that, yes, I didn't have a whole lot of experience, but what I did have was coming from a place with absolutely nothing like music wise and being able to create an experience where I had a lot of different skills and I don't, just, I don't know, just kind of be able to take it by storm, you know, like fake it till you make it. I literally was learning as on the fly every day as I went, just doing a lot of research, following other people, being, you know, talking to other publicists, saying like, hey, like, what are you doing? Um, you know, Angela Master Giacomo of Muddy Pop PR, she was an amazing, you know, asset to me in the first couple years of being, you know, like just kind of being a mentor and kind of teaching me what it was like to run a PR firm. Um, and then as I kind of progressed, through my other career when I was doing full-time PR work for like other businesses, not music, I realized that it was sucking the life out of me. It was draining. Uh, the last time that I worked full-time for somebody else, I was in an office that didn't even have a window. And, um, you know, over in that time, it was, oh my God, like it just, for me personally, I wish that I could do that because it's easy. It's easy to go to a job that somebody else lays out for you that, you know, you have somebody telling you what your goals are, what, you know, what the company needs and blah, blah, blah. That's easy. Not saying every job is easy. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's easy to do that. But what's hard is to take your passion and create that into something that you can rely on. But I knew even if I couldn't rely on it, that I couldn't continue to do what I was doing or I was not going to be in a good place um, mentally. So that's kind of where I began with that. Um, I ended up losing my mom, um, which was really hard on me, as, you know, would be for anybody, really. Losing a parent, it just takes your whole world, as I say, and like to, you know, as I like to say, it flips it upside down, really. It takes your whole world and shakes it like a snow globe, the shittiest snow globe in the world. <laughs> and everything changes. And uh, when that happened, my last job, everything nothing made sense anymore. I was like, why am I, you know, why am I doing this? Like I'm paying bills. Sure. That's fine. And dandy, I have money to go, you know, buy alcohol to forget that I work a job that I don't care about, but the rest of it, it just made, made no sense to me anymore. So I was, I was done. I checked out. Um, and I decided that I was going to do music and that was what I was going to do until I couldn't anymore until I, you know, I didn't have anything figured out really. I just kind of was like, you know what, here, here goes nothing. I just kind of jumped into it. And I knew that that's my, what my mom would have wanted for me. And I know that's what she still does want for me. Um, you know, I feel her energy around me constantly pushing me. And she always told me that I would be, you know, like I would be something. And I think that was really important for me to have her, you know, in my mind and to kind of be like, okay, you know, life's too short for this. And something I always wanted to do was tour. And I ended up touring that year. Um, following her death and it was like a crazy experience maybe for another podcast <laughs> but yeah so I don't know I think everything kind of happens for a reason but I think uh, you know the importance 
and the points that you could take out of that story would just be to, I don't know, like if you want something, just fucking do it. You know, like there's really nothing holding you back. Your, your life is yours and it's in your hands and it's in your heart and whatever you feel that you were put on this earth to do, then just go fucking do it. You know, like whether or not you're getting paid for it, whether or not you have nice things and a nice car. And if you have a passion in you, you need to follow it because that's where you're going to find happiness. And that's where you're going to find drive and things that matter to you. And that's where you're going to find a worthy life. I think that's solid advice. And you, you have a good way of answering my questions without leaving me much room to follow up. (laughs) That's just the industry side of you. Well, let me ask you this. You uh, mentioned at the top of this that you got your first international artist at the end of 2018. And that was kind of like a bucket list item for you. So we've had a lot of uh, guests on the show here starting off the new year. And every time we've been talking about, you know, what the year holds in the future. So since you already mentioned your bucket list for 2018 and crossing things off, like what, what are you hoping to accomplish with the new year? Ooh, well, I think one of the things would be to hire some more people. Um, it's kind of just like a me and, a, and one assistant type of thing going on right now. I would love to bring her on full time. Um, her name is Natalie. She's amazing. She's done work with me since basically since I started the whole PR thing. She's always been by my side um, to just help with tasks where I was drowning, you know, and being able to have her be the other like set of eyes, you know, like have her proofread things, have her help me research all things like that. If I could find another Natalie, <laughs> if I could just clone Natalie like five times, that'd be great. Um, yeah, but we've had, you know, we've had a couple of interns here and there, and I would love to continue that. You know, I'm definitely looking for people to bring on to my team. Um, I love providing people any sort of opportunity, whether it's like internships or any just like one-off help that you want to do to add to their resume. I know how important that is, you know, and if I could have had that in college, I would have, you know, completely, I would have lost my mind with happiness, but um so if I could do that, I'm, I pride myself on being a women-only business, not to exclude men, but to empower women, really. Uh, not that I'm against having men. You know, I've, I've worked with men. A lot of men work. <laughs> Obviously, my co-partner for New Sound is a dude. So um, this is not a smear campaign by any means, but just empowering women in a way of, you know, especially in the music industry, women can experience a lot of sexism and um, being looked down upon and things like that. And um, unfortunately, I've experienced it too much myself. So if I could be like a shining light, that'd probably be one of my goals, which is kind of to hire women, empower women, continue to do that. Um, continue to get all around placements, I think. So I started the year off by having a like, I mean, I, I just got one today as well, like great Spotify placements for my artists. And um, while that's not a traditional path for PR, that is part of New Echo Media PR is Spotify. Just because the day, this is the same age, you know, like things are changing. And I think that it's not enough now for a publicist to say, okay, well, I'll get you some media interviews, some radio spins. Like it's not, it's just not enough. Um, and adding Spotify, I mean, really, artists make 0.00, I think it's like 0.00279 cents per stream on Spotify. So this is not a monetary thing, but Spotify is such an important asset to harness branding I think you know like if you get a big Spotify placement it's not end all be all it's not going to skyrocket your career but it could if you do it the right way um so just continue to move in a direction where 
New Echo Media is set apart from other public relations agencies that might just be focusing on simple interviews, you know, one-off, repeat, Q&As, things like that. You know, like, I, I want to do features that matter. I want to do things that are interesting, that, you know, that I will read and be interested in and just really invest my time in making sure, you know, I'd rather have a lot, like, five meaningful placements than 15 meaningless placements. And I think that's really important. Um, for client development as well. Let's see, what other goals do I have? I mean, those are honestly, those are my big focuses this year. Um, and just growing, you know, like I would love to have another couple of publicists to have their own rosters under New Echo Media PR to create kind of an umbrella um, and have people bring in more clientele from other places that I might not have seen yet um, or encountered yet. Just really continue to get a bunch of experiences like that. I would really also love to be known in the Charlotte area as well. Not that I'm not now, but I would love to be just like a thought leader in general, not just with music, but in public relations. You know, I want when people think of public relations professionals in Charlotte, I would love to be part of that. Um, I would love to be a voice for young professional women, especially in the music industry in Charlotte, um, kind of being like a guiding light and that person that I didn't have and would love to have. So that's probably one of the things also that I would focus on. So yeah, just focusing on the Charlotte, you know, exposure scene for myself and my own brand and how I can help the Charlotte community. Um, how I can help women in general and just continuing to get interesting features to set my clients apart. With that in mind, what are the Charlotte artists we should be watching right now? Oh, all right. So one of my favorites right now is uh, Reggae Band of Good Nature. Um, I saw them on New Year's. They are a Charlotte band, and they are kicking off, really. Um, they do, you know, the cruises with Pat Monaghan of Train. Um, they have a lot of – I think these dudes are literally constantly touring. Um, it's very rare that I, like, I'm on their page, and I see they're not doing something. So they're amazing. Um, they're also just, like, a group of really good, fun-loving dudes. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of hanging out with these multiple times and being good friends with them, and they're, they're some great people. Um, they're about to go on another tour with the Elevators, full alien winter tour, um, starts February, so that's cool. So, like I said, literally always touring. Those guys are amazing. Um, I recently wrapped up a campaign last year with an artist called Sparkman. He's like a acoustic bass alt-rock artist and I say acoustic bass because he started acoustic and then kind of branched into the full band um, area so that's pretty cool to see him kind of blossom in that way um, with his new album with a full band versus everything else so that's pretty cool um, I mean one of my favorite North Carolina bands is Rainbow Kitten Surprise um, I honestly just recently discovered them somehow um, I mean I had heard of them before but I never got around to listening to them until actually a couple weeks ago but they're incredible um they're pretty big as well so definitely them um lowborn out of greensboro north carolina they are definitely i would say ones to watch um like i said they're emo pop rock they are breaking this new genre of kind of synth rock with an emo twist um 
I don't, I don't know what it is, but Wes of Lowboard, he's, you know, he does producing and he does mixing and all these type of things. And they are just an incredible group of four dudes who are just so talented, like all of them. They all bring something to the table that's really interesting, really new. They're all movers and shakers and hustlers in the music industry and just in general. Um, so they have everything I think that it takes to become that large band. Um, and that's actually who I'm podcasting with tonight. So I'm super excited. Um, like I said, to podcast them. And yeah, so those are probably my picks. Um, Within the Wild is also another amazing Charlotte band. I saw them um, before Of Good Nature on New Year's as well. They are doing a great job. So yeah, those are probably probably some of my top ones there. Well, I would love to continue this conversation, but for the sake of time, we got to Kind of, kind of start wrapping it up, but I do want to give you a chance to kind of plug all of your things, like where people can find you and your clients and keep up with everything that's going on in your world. And then I'm going to ask you kind of one more PR related question and we'll wrap things up, but go ahead and get all your plugs in. All right. Sounds good. Uh, okay. One, two, three, plug. So you can find me at newechomedia.com. That is my publicity website. Um, as soon as you are on there, you will see my roster of all my clients. Um, anything that you would like to see, like as far as placements go and anything like that, you can find under news, anything like Spotify, playlists, um, featured interviews, stuff like that that you've got going on there. So all social media is New Echo Media PR or New Echo Media, one of the two. So you'll be able to find us. And the website that I run is newsoundnuonline.com. Uh, we cover everything so it's national music news but we have a Charlotte focus um, we also do print as well to do that my podcast is called drunk and local <laughs> um you can find us on facebook there as well so i'm kind of all over the place but basically if um you want to find anything else about us you found online in the media space go. that's great okay last question you do music blogging you do pr dealing with music blogs uh, considering that this is something that's been on my mind a lot for the Holix blog, so I'm really just going to talk talk out the story idea with you right now. Um, do you feel like blogs doing news really matters that much in 2019? And I mean that both from your perspective as the publicist, but also from the view of the writer, because I feel like with more and more artists having, you know, social media feed, obviously everyone has social media, but as that's becoming more and more the place where people kind of stay up to date with their favorite artists, how much value is there in like a, in like most news posts? Like today I saw the band Pup put out a new song and it's really good and people should go check it out. But is that something that every website needs to just post about? Or is it something that, you know, most people will probably learn about it from the band and from the label and most blogs should better, would be wiser to spend their time on some kind of original content that uses that news item. Right. Um, I mean, personally, there is absolutely no value in a daily news post um, because of the fact, I mean, and I say that with my website, having a lot of daily news posts, like just kind of simple news. And I say that because, like you said, it's very saturated, but also it takes away from the importance of a site that you would visit to know that you're going to get a quality feature with an opinion that was well thought out, that was well written about, that took time. Um, there's a huge difference between a normal news website and something like Pitchfork or um, maybe Rolling Stone or Oxcord, hint, hint, I'm going to nudge, nudge, um, 
you know, where you go to the website and it's not just a bunch of copy and pasted press releases. It's something that matters. It's an opinion piece. It's a feature on an artist with either some sort of like meaningful interview or a theme and a focus. I think that's the biggest thing is like, if you're going to take your time to create a post on site, you need to make sure that it's original in a way that it's going to not just bring readers, but the fact that like it's going to restore that kind of face of music. I think a little bit, I think a lot of people, you know, like you said, people can just get it from social media. So why, why would they come to your website? Um, and to not waste the artist's time, I think is really important. You know, like as you're writing, maybe think like, does the artist appreciate this? Is this something that the publicist will be like, wow, this is a great feature. Like there is really no better feeling. Um, you know, I think one of the last like big features I wrote, I was complimented on by their publicist. And that's like the best feeling, you know, because you know that the person that's promoting them is obviously looking for features that does the best for their artist in an interesting way. And um, I think sites that they continue to do that and maybe a post like every couple of days, but like what rather a daily post, more of like a feature or a long, you know, just like a long piece with a theme. I think that's the most important thing is, a website having their posts be very, very focused. Um, you know, that's one of my own downfalls. I kind of freak out when I don't have a lot going on on the website because I feel like there always needs to be like some sort of update, like a, you know, like that red tape on the bottom or something like, you know, scrolling. And that's just the constant 24 seven news journalist part of my soul. <laughs> but I need to understand that as a publicist, it gives me the perspective of your shit needs to be interesting or no one's gonna care. And that's the bottom line, you know, whether it comes to journalism, publicity, anything like that, you know, um, and it goes the same for pitching, you know, it's not enough to just, hey, can you cover my artist? You know, you've got to really sell it. And I think you need to do that in posts on blogs as well. I think that's a good answer. And it's a good place for us to wrap it up. I like to try to fit the plugs in before we get to the last question. That way people actually listen and they don't just tune out. And uh, now you've helped me create my content for the day. So that's always useful. Um, again, you have all these things people can find you on. You have your publicity. You have social media people can find you. And then you have your podcast, Drunk and Local. I do appear on an episode, but it's not like a normal episode, I guess, would be the best way to say it. <laughs> It's like an outtakes episode of an episode that never happened. Um, it's fabulous. And we'll have to have you back because there's obviously a lot of things we still have to cover. And we're working on some things here involving the podcast in Michigan that hopefully you can we can maybe get you involved in. We're putting on a music conference. Maybe we can get you up here for that. Or we'll see you somewhere else on the road this year. I know that you do a conference appearances whenever you can make them happen. So I wish you all the best in all of this. And do you have any final thoughts for listeners? Pretty much it, you know, 2019, <laughs> let's, let's get this low. Let's get this low.